Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. How many of you, um, by a show of hands, would say that you participate in that great American Christmas phenomenon called the Elf on the Shelf? All right, yeah, like don't be shy, like it's okay. Let's just own it, like I do. Our family has for years, and let me just say this right now, if you have little ones in the room today, like, and you, you know, adhere to some of these traditions, like the elf on the shelf and, and you know, Santa and all that, that fun stuff for your family, this might be a great weekend to take them to experience Elevate Kids, all right? I'm throwing that out there because I'm gonna talk about Elf on the Shelf pretty much the entire message. And, and I think it's great, you know, because we, we do it. My family does it. We love the, the traditions. If you don't know anything about it, Elf on the Shelf started in 2005. And in 2019, the latest stat that I could find was there are more than 13 million little elves running around the world. 13 million. Like it's this, it's this American Christmas phenomenon that so many people have participated in and we do it. And if you don't know anything about it, here's what happens. You have this elf that usually shows up after Thanksgiving time or so. And every night he goes back to Santa and he reports on, you know, the events of the day and how your children were, how they behaved. Were they naughty or were they nice? And people go crazy over it and they do all kinds of crazy things with the elf on the shelf. In fact, I found some pictures. Uh, check this one out. This is, some of them are cute. This little elf's just washing windows. That person has way too much time on their hands, too much creativity. Uh, or the next one, uh, that one's sad. You know, a little frosty has melted and the elf is, is sad. Or, or this one. And I can almost guarantee this was done by somebody here at this church because this is, sounds like something you would do. You know, and this is how cookies are made. Um, then it gets more disturbing. I would do that one. I, I definitely would do that one. Uh, this one, I love this one. Don't, you can't read it, but it says, all elves must quarantine 14 days after arrival from the North Pole. That's brilliant. Because you parents that have done this have to move that thing around every night. This is 14 days, it just sits there. And so that's like, that's the smartest parent on the planet. And then there's a whole like category of elves with Barbie dolls. Check this one out. Um, this is Elf and Barbie. Just hanging out, sipping some syrup together. It looks nice, but we all know what that leads to. And that is hot tub time. with two Barbies. That's some sister elves stuff going on, on right there. Um, and then that doesn't end well because they get into a fight and so what happens next is a little, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a, an amazing phenomenon. You know, that's, that's that grabbed America and people are doing the whole elf on the shelf kind of thing. But the idea is that the elf goes back and reports to Santa whether you were naughty or nice. And then Santa uses that information, has some sort of divine kind of formula to decide what kind of Christmas blessing it will be in your house. 
whether it'll be a great one or if, you know, there won't be one at all, be a lack of a Christmas blessing based on the behavior of your children. And my kids do it, and we just haven't busted ours out yet because we just don't do it from Thanksgiving on. We're lazier than that. We'll do it like a few days or so before Christmas. Um, But I was thinking about this, and it's, it's nice and it's fun, and continue to do it with your families, but it's bad theology when you think about it, isn't it? It's really bad theology. In fact, how would you like it if you were elfed on a shelf? Like as an adult, it's not that fun anymore. And so then I thought, I'm gonna do that. I'm actually gonna, gonna elf on a shelf for you guys today. So I brought, I brought this little elf right now and I'm just gonna set him right here for the entire message and he's just gonna watch you. Not so fun anymore, is it? And I know some of you guys are like, well, I can hardly even see that little elf. You know, that's not very intimidating. And so just so that you can sit under the weight that our children sit under when we elf on a shelf them. Can we bring out two real elves? Come on out, you guys. These are two of Santa's very real elves. Uh, this is Judgy Elf, and this is uh, Condemny Elf. And they're just gonna, they're gonna sit here. And I asked them just to stare at you during the whole message. Not so fun anymore, is it, huh? And so this way, when you're on your phone, you know, and you should be looking up the version app and following along in scripture, but you're checking fantasy football, uh-huh, they know. They're watching you. Or this way when we're in worship and your hands are in your pockets, you know, whatever, and you know you should be here or at least here, you know, or somewhere in worship, they're watching you. Or when we pass the bucket and you let it go right on by, Elf on the shelf isn't fun anymore, is it, right? It's a little bit intimidating, actually. And again, I'm gonna bust on this, the whole thing, the whole time. I'm not that serious about it, but here's what bothers me with the whole elf on the shelf mentality because we, we either uh, don't do this consciously or say this or even think it maybe, but do you know how many of us, if we were honest about the way we see God like refereeing between our, between our naughty moments and nice moments, we think of God as more of an elf on the shelf kind of God than he really is. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter you know, if you grew up and you understand the gospel and what God did. To some degree, a lot of us think about God you know, when it comes to our lives and the things that we do or at least the things that we think. Because how many of you know, I mean, we can think some things that we don't necessarily want people to know about. We kind of think, you know, that God is kind of an elf on the shelf kind of God. And as fun as that is for children, it is very destructive when we become adults. And a lot of people will take this kind of thinking into their adulthood. And you've heard people by, by their language, you know this. I've heard people say this, well, Colby, you know, that, that person, so-and-so is a good person. Meaning that someone that had passed on that was in their life, like they were, they were a good person. So, you know, the, if their eternal destination is based on them being a good person or not, well, their good outweighed their bad. So, of course, they're up in heaven. You've heard that before. It doesn't matter if they knew Jesus. It doesn't matter if they had a personal relationship with Jesus. They're just hoping that their good one day, their good file is gonna be greater than their, their bad file. And then that's gonna get them into heaven. And I've heard people say, well, now they're in heaven looking down on us. And there's so much wrong with that statement. I don't even know where to get started because it's not about your good outweighing your bad. It's about grace. It's all been about grace, but somehow we sometimes believe 
right, that God is up there and he somehow uses this, this cosmic equation, right, this cosmic formula to decide what our eternal destination is. And here's why we need to talk about this on Christmas, uh, during Christmas time, is because of all the great things that I think the Christmas season teaches us, one of the most important things about Christmas is this, write it down, you cannot formulate out your faith. You can't formulate out faith. The problem with that is that we live in one of the most pragmatic, methodical countries on the face of the earth. Do we not? Like, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, a lot of good things are the result of how pragmatic and methodical and practical we are. Like, like uh, great things in business and great things in government are the result of us being very, very practical and methodical in our approach. However, here's the downside to that, is that in our, uh, we have to be so careful about this in our Western kind of cultural way of thinking, we don't sit well in mystery. We don't sit well when things happen outside of that, that pragmatic, methodical approach. We don't sit, we love things in America where A plus B equals C, right? We love things that are predictable. We love things that are, are formulas. And the problem with that is Paul writes it the best when he says this in 1 Timothy 3.16. The Christian life is a what? A great mystery. It's a mystery, we don't understand it all. It doesn't always happen the way that we thought it would happen, far exceeding our understanding. King Solomon wrote it this way. He said, to, to man belongs the plans of his heart, but it's God whose purpose actually prevails in our life. So make plans. Yeah, make plans. Be practical. Be methodical in your, your approach. Formulate things out. But in all of our preparation, he's saying, and in all of our planning, there's going to be so many times where because we have a sovereign God and king, he'll do something different with the outcome than what you and I drew up on paper. It just doesn't always work out. And this is why, by the way, so many people, when Jesus came to this earth, missed Christmas. And they missed Jesus because he did not come in the form or the function that they thought the Messiah was going to come in because we like our formulas, we like our formulas. And so if we approach God this way, if we believe that A plus B equals C, and we try to make God fit within that construct in our lives, what's gonna happen is, here's the problem we're gonna run into. God is found in faith, not in formulas. God's found in faith. No matter how you, you map it out in your life, he's found in faith, not formulas. Have a plan, that's great, but God is the one who determines our plan. In fact, Isaiah teaches us this, that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts, which means it pretty much guarantees no matter how you've worked something out in your mind, it's all, not always gonna happen the way you expect it to happen or the way that you hope it's going to happen. And in that process, we just might miss what God really wants to do. We just might miss Jesus like they did back in the first century. And that what happens then is if I'm an A plus B equals C, let me ask you this, what happens to your world and your life when, when C is not the answer? When C doesn't happen? Here's what happens, people will tend to think, okay, well maybe God doesn't care about me and nothing could be further than the truth, from the truth. 
that God so cares about you, the fact that you're sitting here today, right now, once again, hearing a message about how much God cares about you should be very every indication that he cares about you. Or people will say this, well, maybe God's not real then. And again, nothing's further from the truth. God is so real. Here we are on this big planet called Earth, Right, Any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Any further away, we'd freeze to death. That God strategically, there's a divine creator whose hand is all over your life and all over this world. Like, of course God is real. Or what people will say is, well, probably he's mad at me then because I did A and I did B and I did not get, get C as a result of it. And so the message of Christmas is for us to put our faith in the Messiah, not in the way that, that we think he's gonna operate in our lives. So let's do this before this gets creepy and awkward and weird. Let's let um, uh, Condemny Elf and Judgy Elf go ahead and leave. Can we thank them? This actually, Garrett and Amanda, thank you guys so much. I don't know if you were here last week, I mentioned something about farmersonly.com. Funny thing is, Garrett's a farmer. And he runs a, that's how they met, by the way, farmers only. Uh, she thought his tractor was sexy. And so she just kind of, I don't know if that's true. The farmer part is true. The farmer part is true. Um, we're going to read some scripture. Some of you are like, well, thank you. We're finally going to get to the Bible. Yeah, we're going to get to the Bible. Uh, the first chapter of Luke. And this is gonna kind of set up the Christmas story a little bit uh, for us as we prepare for the Christmas season. And immediately, within the first three verses of the beginning of the Christmas story, Luke destroys this elf-on-the-shelf kind of theology. He completely obliterates it, the notion that God works according to our naughty and our nice. Check it out in verse uh, five, it says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, don't miss this. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, I'm gonna read that again, because if we serve a God who operates on naughty or nice, who operates on this idea of a formula of elf theology, then these two should be some of the most blessed people on the planet. Because we're gonna learn about, about Zach and Liz, that they were both up there in years, that, that Zach had been faithful. He was a faithful priest in the house of God for 40 years, is what the Bible tells us, serving God, serving God's, God's people. So if you deserve to be blessed, you would think, that a priest serving God in his house for 40 years faithfully deserves that. Not to mention, did you, did you look at, at, at Elizabeth's lineage? It says she's a daughter of Aaron, one of the daughters of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest. He was Moses' brother, right? So this girl comes from some good genes, all right, is what I'm saying. And it's like, if anybody deserves to be blessed according to naughty or nice kinds of theology to live a really charmed and blessed life, then these two would be it. They'd be at the top of the list, not to mention it said this, they were both righteous before God. And they both walked in what? They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. These two are poster children for the blessings of God. Would you agree? If God blesses us based on naughty or nice. 
if that's how he formulates it out, because in the very next verse, this jacks it all up. Look at verse seven, it says this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was what? Say it out loud, barren. And both were advanced in years. So in one statement Luke makes about this couple, he tells us they were, they were blameless and barren. Now wait a second, you can't resolve those two things can't reconcile that. Blameless and barren. It shouldn't be blameless and barren. It should be blameless and blessed, right? Like if anything, if we're going to base it on naughty or nice, this should be blameless and, and blessed. It can't be blameless and barren. Like Liz should be the most blessed woman. She should have the most blessed womb in all of Judea, according to naughty and nice, like according to her righteousness. She should have, have six kids, not none kids, she should have 12, she should be, she should be the flipping Duggars, right? She should have 20 kids and counting. Not nine kids, not zero kids, according to her level of righteousness, according to her level of, of nice, because ladies, don't miss this. And this is a, a, in first century Judea, your, your female identity was attached to your ability to have children or not. In fact, if you weren't able to have children, you were barren. The thought was, is that God was, was you know, working against you. There was some sin issue in your life. And so no matter that you were the wife of the priest, you know, and it looked all good on the outside, then the idea was there had to be something going on behind closed doors for you not to be able to, to do the, the one sacred thing that, that women should do. And we all know right today that that's not, that's not true, but this is the way they saw sin. In fact, this is, they attributed it to everything that happened, any bad thing, any disease, any sickness, was well, because you're on God's naughty list. It's because of the sin in your, your life. In fact, step outside the Christmas narrative for a second, and in John chapter nine, it says this, as he, meaning Jesus, passed by and he saw a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, listen to this question, Rabbi, who sinned? Not did someone sin? Not maybe could sin have been the thing that caused this? No, they said, who sinned? As if to say, obviously, we know someone sinned. We know someone's on the naughty list. And was it, he says, was it him? Was it this man? Or was it his parents? And Jesus answered, he said, no, not, 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 neither of that. None of that. He said it wasn't this man or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You hear that? There's a way bigger story unfolding in this. It's not that at all. He says, there's a way bigger purpose to this man's suffering of blindness. He says, I'm here to reframe your formulaic thinking of God, you know, A plus B equals C. He's like, God doesn't always work that way. Doesn't always happen that way. It's greater than that. I did this so you could watch this healing moment take place. I did this so once again, I could testify that I'm a healer, that I, I heal sickness and deafness and disease and blindness and raise people from the dead. I did this, Jesus is saying, to draw more and more people to me. He's like, he didn't sin. I'm using his human suffering to bring glory to God. So Jesus destroys this whole naughty or nice elf kind of theology that often you and I fall into the trap of. So back to, to Zach and Liz, all right? And so I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version. It says they were blameless and barren. And the Bible also says they were getting up there in years. So here's what happens. Zachariah is going into the temple 
one day. He's one of the, the priests in a division. There were 24 divisions. Each division had about 100 or so priests. And so they would kind of rotate who goes to the, the main temple, the big temple in Jerusalem to, to like um, serve there. And so when they got there, they would cast lots. About 100 priests would cast lots to see who would be selected to go into the Holy of Holies, like the innermost part of the temple, to light incense on the altar to God. And so they would sit there and it would rarely happen, right? If, you're, if you ever got selected in your lifetime, it was a great honor and a great privilege. And it was Zechariah's turn. He gets chosen. And so he goes into the temple, goes into the Holy of Holies to light incense. And while he's in there, he has a visitation from God's, uh, one of God's chief ministering spirits, an angel named Gabriel. And the angel says, hey, Zechariah, freaks him out, obviously. Hey, that thing you've been praying about with you and your wife, Elizabeth, it's gonna happen. Like she's gonna get pregnant. She's gonna give birth to, to a child. Now, if I'm Zachariah and I'm 80 years old, here's what I'm thinking. Awesome. Thank you so much. I can't wait to play football, you know, with my son at 80. I'm probably gonna break a hip, you know. Thank you so much, God. Here I am right, serving you faithfully for 40 years as a servant. We've been praying about this all the time, and here I am, finally, now you're gonna answer my prayer. Sweet, I can't wait. My son and myself are both gonna be in diapers at the very same time. <laughs> Great, right? That's what I'm thinking, and that's why I'm not Zechariah. That's why God's not using me to do, you know, something as amazing as this, because let's be honest. I'm thinking I'm 80 years old, and now... I'm getting this child and now you're gonna bless me with this son and, and I'm not gonna have that much time, right, to, to spend with him. But he doesn't say any of that. In fact, the only thing Zechariah says, he asks him a question and I think it's a fair question. See if you would agree in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how is this gonna happen? Because I'm old. That's what he says. How's this going to happen? Because I'm very old. And then he says something Gentlemen, that only four decades of marriage gets you wise enough to say, my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> Guys, you, you see what I'm saying? He's about to say, God, how's this gonna happen? I'm old and my wife, she's old. And then he stops and he's like, she's advanced in years. <laughs> we can learn something, gentlemen. Take notes from this. But Gabriel takes offense to his question. And he, and he says, it's because you're talking to an angel, dummy. That's how you know. And again, I'm paraphrasing on this. He says, but look, you're standing here and this miraculous thing has happened. And if that doesn't give you any indication that this is going to, to actually take place, I don't know what will. And so it sounds like Gabriel gets mad at him and he says, all right, you know, I'm frustrated with you. Now you, you're not gonna be able to speak. The entire rest of her pregnancy, you're mute. He mutes him. He says, until the baby is born, you're mute. And here's what's crazy about that. Is the very next thing that we read in Luke chapter one, Gabriel's back on the scene. And now he's announcing to a 15-year-old girl that she's gonna carry the savior of the world and bring him into the world, Mary. So now let's, let's, let's sit in some mystery. And again, I know we're not good at this. Let's sit in some mystery. I don't understand how a guy who's been faithful for four decades serving God, faithfully, blameless, righteous before God, keeping all the commands and the statutes 
of God's law, right? It's finally receives an answer to his prayer at 80. And then the next thing we read about is a 15-year-old girl who has had next to no time in her life to have anything good or bad, you know, on her resume of, of naughty or, or nice, gets to have what Zach and Liz get, but also one-ups them and gets to carry the savior of the world. Like, I, I don't understand it. And here's what else is crazy about this. We'll read it. Mary asked the same question as Zechariah. She says the same thing. She says, how's this gonna be? And so you would think, right, Gabriel in his, in his justice would say, well, great. Now you have to be mute. I gotta mute everybody here today, right? You're mute, you're mute. Here's a mute, there's a mute. Everywhere's a mute mute, right? And it's just, but that's not what he says. In fact, he just nonchalantly answers her question. He just says this, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and you'll give birth to a son. He's gonna be holy. He's gonna be the son of the living God. Same question, completely different answer to which we would go, hang on. That's not A plus B equals C. Hang on, that doesn't make sense. Why does the 15-year-old the get to carry the savior of the world when the 80-year-old gets to only carry John the Baptist, right? I know we're like, only John the Baptist, you know, that's it. Here's my answer to that. Again, put it up on the screen. God is found in faith, not in formulas. This is what Christmas teaches us. But when we start to look around and compare with the person on the left and the right, our stories, like they could have done with Zach and and Elizabeth and and Mary, right? They They could have compared. Can I tell you something? That is a fool's errand and it will get you nowhere, especially in this season where we're all comparing. There's this, there's this subconscious or maybe not even subconscious, you know, we got to keep up with the Joneses and we got to, we got to get this and we got to get that. There's this maybe unspoken yet very real, you know, pressure for us to compare. And I don't understand why God did it this way, but there's some mystery in God's sovereignty and he invites all of us to sit in it. And so I want us to read a few verses of Mary's story because this is what Luke records next as I begin to, to, to wrap up. Verse 26 says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Of course, this is, this is the Christmas story. And of course, we're getting ready to, to celebrate this together. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How awesome is that? Think about that statement. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her again, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found what? Say it out loud. You have found favor with God. Who wouldn't want that? Like who wouldn't want an angel of God to come down and to say, hey, God's with you. God favors you. Would that not change? Or so you would think some of the worries that you and I feel, maybe even in this Christmas season? Like, would that not cure some of the anxiety we have and the pressures that we have? Would that not make some of the, 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 the things that seem really big in our life right now seem just a little bit smaller if an angel of God came down and said, hey, God's with you, God favors you. Like, we all want that. Can I remind somebody today, you have that? You have that? 
because God, the Bible says, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So he's with us. We've all been favored. And not to mention that, when Jesus left this world and ascended into heaven, he gave us the Holy Spirit, who's not just with us, he is now in us. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, let me just remind you, you already have favor. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you already got it. Come on, you already got favor. God's given you favor. And this just gets better and better because not only... The angel tells the son, he says, or tells Mary, you're gonna have a kid, but he says this, let me tell you who this kid is. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Come on, any parent love to hear that said about your kid? He's great. What a great kid that you have. He'll be great and he'll be called the son, capital S, of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of, of his father, David. This is now getting like sacredly awesome. This is becoming really good. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, not for a term, but for forever. And it finishes with this statement, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary, that's how God's favoring you. That's the kid. And that's what we look at and we go, yeah, that's it. That's God's favor. That's what favor looks like you get Jesus. But can I tell you what Luke doesn't record? No, this is a little bit dangerous to, to say what, what maybe the conversation could have been. It probably wasn't, so hear me say that. But it could have been, and it would have, it would have not been out of place for the conversation to continue. Let's just say it continued, and the angel said, Mary, yeah, it's awesome. That's who you get to carry. Jesus, the savior of the world, you get to raise him, you get to care for him, you get to watch him grow up, you get to watch him do all the, the Jesus stuff you know, that he's going to do, but here's what also accompanies favor. After you and I have this conversation, things aren't gonna get easier, they're gonna get more difficult. In fact, you're almost gonna lose your marriage over it. Because you're going to run and tell your, your husband to be Joseph, you know, that the whole Holy Spirit got me pregnant thing. And he's going to go, yeah, right. And then he's going to, you know, had it in mind to divorce you quietly. That's what the scripture tells us because he doesn't want you to be stoned to death because that could be the punishment of adultery. And so he's going to divorce you. Hey, Mary, you know, God's going to trust you with this, this with favor and this blessing. But he's also trusting you with the trouble that's going to come with it. And when God trusts you with, with favor, he's saying, hey, sometimes alongside of that will come persecution and trial and suffering and pain. Mary, you're gonna walk around Galilee with a scarlet letter of adultery on you because nobody's gonna believe the whole virgin birth story. Are you okay with God's favor? Are you okay with scrutiny? Are you okay with with, uh, with persecution? Are you okay with what's gonna come alongside of it? Oh yeah, and Mary, you who are highly favored and blessed among women and, and you know, are God's chosen one, not even, you know, let's not forget the fact that, that um, when this child does come, you're gonna have to flee for your life because there's gonna be somebody that wants to kill your child. In fact, you're gonna have to flee and not just anywhere, you're gonna go to your enemy territory in Egypt where they don't like you anyway, but that's where you're gonna have to go and take refuge, oh, you who are high, highly favored and blessed among women. 
Oh yeah, not to mention when you, it is time to come back after two years of fleeing to another country, you're not gonna be able to return home home because you know, they're gonna wanna you know, kill you there as well. So you're gonna have to go start a new life in a whole new place, you who are highly favored and blessed among women. And let's not forget about this one, that in about 33 years from now, Mary, you who are highly favored, you're gonna have to watch what no mother should ever watch. And your son get buried. You're gonna have to bury your son when they should be the ones to bury you, you who are highly favored and blessed. Let's not forget what comes with God's favor. And then after you watch your son get, get whipped and beaten and experience Roman crucifixion, you're gonna have to help bury him and wrap him up in burial clothing, you who are highly favored. You know what Christmas meant for Mary? It wasn't about to get easier. It was about to get a lot harder. But sometimes favor looks like God trusting you with trouble. And I know that's not popular, and I know you're like, man, this is uplifting for Christmas, Colby. This is awesome. But it is a reality of the Christmas story that we can't ignore. Because here's the deal with God's favor on your life. It's not about you getting stuff. It's about you being used by God. In fact, there's nothing else, else like it. And if we ever needed to hear, you know, uh, that this is not about getting stuff, it's in the season of getting stuff. Is it not? If we ever need to hear it, that the pinnacle of God's favor is about your, you getting purpose and not you getting possessions. It's not about you being fulfilled by more and more things. It's about you fulfilling the purpose God has mapped out for your life, amen? Like that's what it's about. And stuff might come, as a result of that, like sure, when you're obedient, you follow God's plan for your life, sure, stuff might come and that's great and wonderful, but stuff is nothing compared to the joy of being used by God. And so make no mistake about it, Elevate Church, you really wanna walk in God's fullness and purpose for your life when he favors you and gives you an assignment, it's going to come with persecution and trial and testing and challenges and that's what happened for Mary on Christmas. Life got way harder. And again, I don't want to ignore that truth because so many of you right now in this season, like life is just handing it to you. And if I know anything about Christmas season, it's really good at amplifying the areas in our life that are going great, but it's also equally powerful at amplifying all the areas in our life that aren't. And some of you right now, it's just getting handed to you. And the, 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 the potential for us when, when life throws something our way and we thought that A plus B equals C is for us to say, well, I guess God doesn't care or I guess God's mad at me or I guess, you know, you know, it's not working out. And again, that's really, really bad elf theology. And that's not what God teaches us. It's not based on, on naughty or nice but that's just what happens. Sometimes it's just life on this side of, of eternity, right? This is just life that we experience until second Christmas, by the way. Second Christmas when Jesus returns again to the earth and he takes away all sickness and pain and, and pandemic and division and all that. But until then, the highest form of favor is not getting stuff. It's about being used. It's about the purpose, fulfilling our purpose. And so I, you don't think this is Colby's words? In my opinion, look at Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? Say it out loud. 
not formulas. No one here in this room has been justified by a formula of naughty or nice. Justified by, by faith. Not because you did A and B and that gives you C, simply by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by, there's our word again, faith. Because God's only found in faith. Not in formulas. And when we expect God to work a certain way in our life, I'm telling you, it just doesn't happen that way. We have obtained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. And then here it is, I love this. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And who wouldn't want that? We all want the glory of God. We all wanna be able to, to rejoice in God's glory, but don't miss this because the second part is also our responsibility. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Not that there is anything inherently noble about rejoicing in sufferings. That's not what Paul is saying. Can I remind somebody, God's not the author of suffering. And I say that because right now, Christmas for you, the theme of this season for you is suffering. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe there's an empty chair around a table this year where there wasn't in the past. Maybe it's a relationship that's broken. Maybe there's just been too great division and, and too much gap that can't be resolved. And your season is marked by suffering, but God's not the author of that suffering. He's the divine user of it. And he will use that suffering in our life. But Paul says there's nothing inherently noble about suffering, but listen to what suffering does. It produces what? Endurance. And can I tell you something? You cannot fulfill God's call on your life. You cannot run the race marked out for you without endurance. You need endurance and it says, and then endurance produces what? Character. You can't fulfill God's call without character. Mary could have never carried Jesus, the savior of the world, if she didn't have extreme levels of character in her life, which by the way, you know how a lot of her character was formed? Trials, God's favor on her life, the dirty looks she was given, being exiled to enemy territory, that formed and developed the character. And it says character produces, say it out loud, hope, which is the ultimate goal of Christmas to get you and I to a place of hope. But where did it all start? Suffering. There's this spectrum of life um, that we all live in. All of us until we take our last breath and, and on one end of the spectrum, we could say, use, use Paul's language in Romans, we call it God's glory. That's what we want. We wanna live in God's glory. And I don't know about you, but man, I want to live in an ever increasing level and place where I get to experience God's glory. But the reality is on the other side of that is human suffering. And the reality is all our lives are just kind of this, this, this moving target to varying degrees of living between God's glory and human suffering. And the danger is sometimes we will place ourselves on that spectrum, on that continuum based on naughty or nice. Well, I must be here because of what I did. Or I must be here because of what I thought, or I must be here. And that's a dangerous place to be. We don't place ourselves on there based on, on naughty or nice. 
that's just a reality of life and the fact that we live in a fallen and a broken world. And I just need to remind you that a big part of Christmas is God telling us, hey, sometimes my favor, sometimes my favor looks like this. It looks like trial, it looks like suffering, but can I trust you with favor? Sometimes it looks like God's glory and sometimes things are, are going great. And can I just tell you, if you're there right now, we celebrate that with you. God's word says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. But in that same passage in James, it tells us we are to suffer, we are to mourn with those who mourn. And a lot of you, that's where you are in this Christmas season. However, just as Jesus did with Mary and Zach and Liz, he's also in the business of taking what the enemy means for evil and using it for his good. And so he says, Mary, I'm asking you, because I have an ultimate plan that's good. I'm asking you to sit in some suffering. I'm asking you to, to be okay with the dirty looks. I'm asking you to be okay being, you know, kind of thrown out of your family and, and from your, your culture and your people. I'm asking you to be okay with that because my ultimate plan, it looks like, you know what, okay, Aaron, I just want you to sit in a little bit of season of suffering. Janessa, I want you to sit in a little season of suffering right now. Mark, I want you to sit. Matthew, I want you to sit in a little season of suffering. And don't think that that means it's an indictment on you as a person or that it impacts the relationship between you and God. But what if instead it was a divine trust that God has in you and your ability to handle what comes along with favor? What comes along with suffering? What if he's favoring you enough to use you? When Jesus came into this world through Mary, it made Christmas hard. But can I tell you something? Mary would look at us from heaven and say, I wouldn't change a thing about it. As hard as it was, as difficult, as challenging as it was, I wouldn't change a thing. Zach and Elizabeth and John the Baptist would say, as difficult as it was, 80 you know, years of asking God for this blessing, I wouldn't change a thing because Jesus is enough. Mary would say, Jesus is enough. Call me simple, call me naive. I just believe Jesus is enough. In a season where it's all about stuff, come on, Jesus is enough. Would you stand up to your feet right now, bow your head, close your eyes. And we're gonna prepare our hearts to worship right now. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, it could be that you have based your relationship. And this is what I believe with all my heart. There are people in this room, there are people watching online right now. You have based your relationship with God and your eternal destination on naughty or nice. Jesus came to blow that out of the water. In fact, he said, there's nothing that you could do. There's nothing that you can do. What he offers you is a free gift of grace that covers your sin, that covers your naughty, that covers all the ways that we fail and we all have done it. We've all made mistakes. We all, the Bible says, fall short of God's standard. But Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God so that we could have eternal life. And it's not based on anything we've done or anything you're going to do, but it's all based on what Jesus has already done. And what you need to do is receive the sacrifice, the payment 
that he's made on your behalf. And I wanna give you the chance to do that right now. Right now, maybe you've never done that. Maybe you did that and you ran from it and you never received Jesus as Lord as your, as your, as your life. But whether you're in the room or online right now, if you'd say, Colby, that's why I'm here today. No one's looking around. Would you be bold right now and lift your hand and hold it high and say, I'm gonna let Jesus once and for all be the final payment for my sins. Awesome, keep it up. That's Praise God for you, praise God for you. So many in this room, I'm believing you online too as well. You can put them down. And here's what the Bible tells us. It says, as we confess that we understand our state, where we fall on that spectrum, and we know that we can't do anything in and of our own power, but Jesus did it all in his sacrifice on the cross. If we confess him as Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we'll be saved. We'll be saved. We'll experience salvation. We'll get that free gift given to you. So let me lead you in a prayer that does that. God, you can just repeat this or you can use your own words. Say something like this, Jesus, today, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner in the need of a savior. And so I confess you as Lord and a savior. Come into my life. Give me your spirit. Make me a new creation from the inside out. You have my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.